Hey guys, it's Ben here with the Half Court Heave Podcast. I'm here with Isaac and I'm here with Arjun. Isaac finally back on here. Um, a surprising amount of stuff has happened since we last recorded, but it's us three back together. And before we get into the action, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe. And just so we can put out more content for you guys, comment what you think about all of our takes. I know Arjun's probably going to have some crazy ones as he does every time. Um, and besides that, before besides leaving a like, go ahead and get your merch if you haven't already. You can get it. I think it's on sale right now for the winter sale. It's already cheap enough as it is, and it's comfortable. I've, I've been wearing this hoodie all the time. I know it's kind of gross, but I've been wearing it like every single day. Same with Isaac. I know he has. But anyways, I don't want to waste any time since we do have a lot to talk about today, and we're on a tight schedule. But let's get into the first thing we do want to talk about, which is going to the NBA, talking about which team needs to prove more next season, the Clippers or the Nets? Um, Arjun, who has more to prove next season? Uh, I'm going to go with the Clippers on this one because both have a lot to prove, but the Nets haven't started. They haven't had a, their fully healthy roster. They haven't really started. Kyrie's been injured. Katie's been injured for a year. You could bring up the chemistry, I, the, the, the idea of like the, the chemistry imploding, but let's, come on. That's, that's not guaranteed. We know it could happen, but that's not guaranteed. The Clippers right now are an absolute laughingstock in the NBA. After what happened? They were up 3-1 against the Nuggets, and they just blew it. They're a laughing stock. I mean, they got rid of Harrell left. They got Serge Ibaka. But, I mean, right now, no one's taking them seriously. So they need to prove to the world and to the NBA that they are a top-tier contending team, which I okay. think they could be. Yeah, so when it, when it comes down to that, both these teams do have a lot to prove. That is true. But when it goes down to it, I think the Nets have a lot more to prove since the Clippers have already proved, though they did blow a 3-1 lead in the playoffs, that they can contend in the West. They can be a top-tier team in the West. They were the two-seed last year. They won 50 games in the shortened season. And, I mean, yeah, they blew a 3-1 lead, but they got up 3-1 to against the Nuggets. That proves that they're capable of winning playoff games. They just couldn't finish off that series. I wouldn't say that's because they were the worst team. I think it was because they were generally just not performing their best in those three previous games. But – also, when you look at being proven or unproven, the Nets are 100% unproven with KD and Kyrie, and that's why I think they have more to prove. It's because this duo, I mean, it's probably the most un, it's probably the most problematic duo the NBA has ever seen. We saw Russ and Harden, but they're not near what we're speculating this duo to be like when it comes to toxicity. I mean, these are two of the most toxic stars in the NBA recently, and you combine them on the same team with a team that already feels like they proved themselves, that Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie core that went to the playoffs with D'Angelo Russell as a six seed two years ago, and then went to the playoffs this year with Kyrie barely playing. But then also, um, actually, no, before I carry on, Isaac, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you can make an argument for the Nets because they have gone sort of all in on these stars, you know. They hired a little bit of an unconventional head coach because he's never – Steve Nash has never had a head coach position before, and they've gone all in. But I'm going to agree with Arjun. I think it's definitely the Clippers because – both of these teams in, in both of the conferences have clear championship aspirations. And I think in, in usually when you look at big teams like this, when you go in on a bunch of superstars and you're trying to make a team, they clearly are going for a championship. You give them about two or three years, and if they're not winning a championship in that time, I think it's a pretty big failure from that team. The Clippers did not win a championship le- le- last year. So it would be a disappointment for the Nets to not win a championship this year, but I think it's clearly that the Clippers have more to prove. Maybe the Nets have more to prove as a team and how functional they can be, but the pressure's on the Clippers to see can they win a championship because if they can't, then they put together all these stars. They lost all their draft picks. They're going in on Ty Lue. They went on, on Kawhi and PG. Can they prove that they can win a championship? With I think they, no, no. I think what you're getting is that they have more to lose. Like the Clippers have more to lose because if they don't win a championship with this team, they gave up all their assets in the making of this team. When the Nets, like they just got these players on free agency. But when it comes to having to prove themselves, not just having more on the line, the Nets, I mean, like talk about unproven KD since his injury. I mean, he has an injury that only one person has ever come back from. And I know we know KD is one of the top dogs in the league, but I really can't rate him as anything until he proves himself again, since that's a really bad injury that he had with the Warriors. And then, yeah, I think KD needs to prove that he can reinstate himself as his previous self. And KD and Kyrie need to prove that they can play a healthy season together. I mean, I think Kyrie only played like half the season last year. But then when it comes to chemistry, because I know Isaac does love to talk about chemistry a lot, and you talked about Serge Ibaka and losing Montrezl Harrell. I think Serge Ibaka is a huge upgrade from Montrezl Harrell, and it's not close, especially with the 
fit with Kawhi Leonard. But then when you look at chemistry, I think the Clippers were starting to get it together before the bubble start, like before the NBA season was officially ended before they started the bubble again. And they, they had won six straight and they were looking to click and then all that happened and that team split up and then they looked really unconventional in the playoffs. And I mean, the Clippers, they only had 37 regular season games with Kawhi and PG playing on the same floor. So I don't think they're still looking for stuff to prove. They still produced wins and they barely even got to play with each other because of injury and because of load management. But anyways, I do think that the Nets do have more to prove because of everything I've said, basically. But you also, but, but you said it yourself, like they didn't play really quickly. You said it yourself, like they didn't play that many games together. So that shows that even this is a first year duo in KD and Kyrie. You know, they barely played in each other. They barely play with each other on the floor. They right, you said thirty-seven games. That is barely anything. Both of them were load man had load management. PG was injured. I think they have far more to prove because you're in your second year. You're going all in. You have to prove that you can win a championship. And they didn't yeah. play well in the regular season. They barely played with each other in the regular season. The thing is, is that Ben, you're talking about the Clippers getting better chemistry. I mean, after what happened with Mark, I mean, with Marcus Morris putting his his fingers doing the little thing over uh, Kawhi's head and him looking like he's going to cry. I mean, let's be real. They didn't really have that much chemistry at all. And if you look at it, Paul George, who is an underrated player, he's a laughing stock. He's a meme. He's, a, he's an entire meme. And he's not taken seriously at all. People are calling Kawhi a choke artist, even though he messed up the mo- uh, one important game, game seven. But people are people have disregarded the Clippers and you have to agree, you cannot lie that they have been disregarded. So they have more to prove. That's my final. Yeah, yeah, no, they, I think they have way lower expectations, which means that they don't have as much to prove necessarily. Cause also when you look at their roster, does Kawhi Leonard have to prove that he can perform in the playoffs to anybody? I mean, he's a two time finals MVP, two fi- two time finals champion. He won that fascinating championship with the Raptors in 2019. Like, he has to prove that he can play in the regular season. And build up a team. When you, when you look at KD, you look at KD, and he's like the most unproven player ever when it comes to winning. He's been criticized so much for only being able to win with a super team. Going to the Nets is him trying to prove himself since he is so unproven. But anyway, no, Ben, it's not about one more thing. It's not about Kawhi proving himself. It's about the Clippers organization, the coaches, the staff, Paul George. Most, I think Paul George needs most of the blame. He needs to prove himself because his career is just on the brink of just disaster already is on in disaster. What? I mean, the Clippers, the Clippers haven't, the Clippers haven't made it to the finals or even a Western conference in at least a very long time. I don't think for not in history, they've never made it. They have never made those in history. No, but you want to talk about, you want to talk about coaches having to prove themselves. Talk about the fact that the Nets hired Steve Nash, who's never been a head coach. For sure. But this is their, but this is their first year. If they're both in their second year, completely unproven, they have so much to prove. They have such high expectations. I think so. But but in a second year, when you go, both of these teams have gone all in on these stars. They're losing assets. They're going all in on a championship. The fact is the Clippers are in their second year, whereas the Nets are in their first year. So they have less to prove, I think, overall as a season. And also the Clippers, the Kawhi has to prove, Kawhi does have to prove that he can play and not do load management in the season because that clearly did not work for their whole team. He has to be able to prove that he can do that. And that's, he is unproven in that manner. He's not. So I think overall, the Clippers do have more to prove because they're farther along. All right. Um, guys, I do want to talk about the next thing we were talking about, which is the the mainly relevant thing that happened, and it was yesterday. Woj bomb that Russell Westbrook and John Wall were traded for each other. A 2023 protected lottery protected first round pick was traded to Houston as well with John Wall. Um, Isaac, who do you think won this trade? I'm going to go with Washington. I think, you know, actually maybe I'll go with Houston. I think it's, I think it's pretty even. They both have risks of their own. I think a a downside for Washington is that Bradley Beal is a very dominant player. And so is Russell Westbrook. He said he wants to go into a system where he can play like he did in OKC, which is ball dominant, where he's playing for most of the time, where he's taking the ball up the floor and he's taking the shots. He's going into ISO and that might hurt with Bradley Beal. You want to talk about a team that needs to prove themselves. Those, as a duo, those guys need to prove that they can play together. It's also a little bit of a confusing move because we've seen the Rockets talk about blowing up their whole team. It seems like they're going to keep um, James Harden. For them, I think it might be a better move 
if not that J- John Wall is a very big risk in terms of injury and can he play like his former self? So if John Wall was not injured, I'd say it's a much better move for the Rockets. But besides that, I think I'm going to lean towards being a better move for Washington because Russell Wellsbrook does not have as much risk as John Wall does. And we don't know how he's going to play with James Harden. And John Wall certainly has a ton of injury risk. And we don't know if he can yeah, be his former yeah. self at all. We just don't know. Yeah, so you went going back to it, you said, of course, that Russell Westbrook is – well, you said that Bradley Beal – is a more ball dominant player. And that's actually not true. I think it's fascinating how many points per game he put up, even though it was a bad team with being such an off ball player. That's his preference. That's why he fits so well with John Wall when John Wall was healthy was that Bradley Beal likes being the off ball guy. And that's why I think he fits so well with Russell Westbrook. In fact, this entire team fits well with Russell Westbrook. If you want to look at a team that fits for Russell Westbrook, he wants to be that guy. He will hold the, he will be with main possession of the ball while still having help. That's something that he's never had before. I mean, in OKC, he had a team where he just had no help. He had to have the ball. And in Houston, he just couldn't have the ball more than James Harden. That's why he wanted out so much. And when you look at the Wizards, you have Davis Bertans. Um, you have you have Bradley Beal, of course. You have Denny. You have Rui. You have all these guys that are off-ball dominant players. And so you have Russell Westbrook dominating the floor, bringing the ball up the floor every time, choosing what happens with this team. He's going to be extremely dominant with the Wizards. And that's why I think they won this trade. It's because also you look at Russell Westbrook and you look at John Wall. John Wall is basically just a more injury-prone and a significantly worse statistically player than Russell Westbrook as of recently. I mean, Russell Westbrook, last time they played, averaged a higher shooting percentage, averaged less turnovers, averaged the same assists, averaged more rebounds, and averaged more points by a significant margin. And I think that that's a big reason also to why the Wizards won this trade is because they haven't had John Wall for two years. And I mean, yeah, people, including myself, like to knock on Russell Westbrook for being a negative impact when it comes to winning, but I would rather have Russell Westbrook than literally nobody. But anyways, Arjun, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Ben, because I do think you made a really great point about Beal being an off-ball player because he is an off-ball player. Uh, I think that if you're taking a guy like John Wall, both of them have 40 mil contracts. They have heavy contracts. So the contracts aren't a worry until you factor in the fact that John Wall could re-injure himself. And he's just, he hasn't played in two years. So you're taking Russell Westbrook, who has been in the who has been in the efficient, the most efficient season he's had. He has the most efficient season he's ever had, and you're giving that you're giving him away for an injury-prone point guard who we really have a lot of questions about. You don't want to say that he's going to get re-injured, but you can't immediately you can't immediately disregard the fact that he could. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go have to go with Washington because they right. got a non-injury risk player. Yeah, I think everybody, I think most, for the most part, people agree with this because of all that. But I think that also when you look at Russell Westbrook, just to add on to the pain that goes to the Houston Rockets fans, is that you're trading, basically, Russell Westbrook is the polar opposite in playing games when it comes when it comes to John Wall. Because Russell Westbrook, he plays basically like every game. That guy does not, even when he's like slightly injured, he still plays. I think he only missed his first playoff games this season in the bubble because he had a shoulder injury. I mean... Russell Westbrook, the last season that John Wall played, he played 80 games. John Wall played 42. It's just Russell Westbrook is a player. He's a gamer. He wants to be in those games, and he's super ultra competitive, which the Washington Wizards need. But when it comes to the Houston Rockets, it's clearly this is clearly a last attempt to try to persuade Harden to take that $50 million extension, but it's clearly not going to work. I don't know why they think that would. Going with trading Robert Covington for a first-round pick, and then not trading that first-round pick, and then trading Russell Westbrook, his best friend, which I know he didn't want to play with, for a worse Russell Westbrook in a protected first-round pick in 2023, it really doesn't make much sense to me, and it doesn't make much sense to me to why they think that James Harden would want to stay with this team as they have like a combined three healthy Achilles on the entire roster. And I think this Houston Rockets team is probably the most confusing situation I've ever seen in basketball, where they have no young talent, they have no draft compensation. They gave it all up to get Russell Westbrook in exchange for Chris Paul. They have a ton of old and terrible contracts. And your centerpiece star has absolutely no business wanting to be there. And we've we've seen this. He rejected a $50 million a year extension. So you sign, you then go out and you sign to a veteran's minimum, the most injury-prone center there is. And then you trade one of the most durable players in the NBA that there is 
for one of the most injury-prone players in the NBA who's worse yeah, than the player. Yeah, I agree with you. The Rockets are really confusing. I think last year they did not have a great team, but at least they went all in on something. They went all in on their high volume of three-point shooting and like small ball. But they're such a confusing team right now. We talked about blowing the whole thing up, but now it seems like they're going halfway. You can't go halfway. You have to make it clear. And if I was playing on the Houston Rockets right now, I would be so confused. I would have no idea what is going on. Talk about your head coach is gone. Daryl Moore is gone. It's probably the only thing keeping them together. And then you have Harden who seems to be disgruntled and maybe wants to trade. And then you throw in John Wall, who, like you said, is injury prone. And then you have Boogie, who's an incredibly risky player who has had so many injuries in the last couple of years. It seems really confusing. This is not a championship team. Yeah. And it seems very confusing what they're doing right now. Yeah. And I mean, Russell Westbrook takes uh, another big thing for Washington is that this is a box office move too. You get Russell Westbrook, who's a lot, and I know you can't really sell tickets this year. It's like 50% capacity, but I mean, it's not like the wizards were getting 50% capacity at their games anyway. So this will really help. Sorry, Jack Spencer. But I think that, um, Russell, West- Russell Westbrook's a business move too, because I mean, people want to watch Russell Westbrook as much as people love to hate on him, including myself, as I said before, Russell Westbrook is really fun to watch. And he also puts them back into not championship contention, but contending in the East. Like they will probably be not just a playoff fringe team, like the Hornets or the Hawks or the Pacers, but they'll probably be the six seed, like around that area, the six or the seven seed. I think they'll be really entertaining to watch, but also I think this completely knocks Houston out of the championship race next season, but it also basically ends the of the era of James Harden in Houston because they won't win a championship. And this is absolutely if they somehow let have James Harden play without refusing to play, then this is absolutely your last run with James Harden before he just throws a complete fit and demands me trade or else he won't play. And I really don't get why the Rockets made this move instead of just getting more young assets or somebody better. But anyways, I do want to talk about the next thing we want to talk about, which is Gordon Hayward. And it is, do you guys believe Gordon Hayward when he says that he is still in the prime of his career? Um, Isaac, what do you think? I, I'm, I'm iffy on this one. I think as um, me and a lot of other Boston fans were waiting to see the Utah Gordon Hayward come out in Boston. It was unfortunate the different injuries he's had, but I think you can. I think you can definitely say that Gordon Hayward was an underrated player. His contract was way too big for the way he was playing, but he was a good piece in the Celtics, and that was a big thing for them to lose. I think it's tough to say whether or not he's in his prime. He's certainly somewhere in there, if not ending it. But I think this is a huge season for him to prove. And it's going to be interesting to see how he fits into that team. I'm not sure how he's going to fit in with Lamella Ball. I have a lot of hope for them together. And the Hornets better have some hope for them after all that money that they just gave him. But I think it's going to be a really interesting season to see how he fits in with all of those players, the young players and Lamella Ball especially. But yeah. I think he could be in his prime. This is going to be the year that we find out, is he ending his prime? Is he never going to get back to Utah Gordon Hayward? Or can we see an even better Gordon Hayward than we've seen in the past? Yeah, I think one of the main critiques besides his age and the age that he'll be at the end of his contract for the Hornet signing him to this contract is people are saying, oh, he's not the Gordon Hayward he was in Utah, which I think is actually quite a big, quite a big role of bullshit, in my opinion. I think you get Gordon Hayward, who he put up 18, 6, and 4 this year on the Celtics on the best shooting splits in the NBA. I actually saw that on Twitter. Uh, which isn't a reliable source, but it's stats. You can't argue with stats. And I mean, when you look at, I think people over imagine what he was in Utah in his, in his all-star season where he put up basically the same stats with a little worse shooting and a little more points per game. I mean, he put up 21 points per game on slightly worse shooting and you're putting Gordon Hayward who not only did he put up 18, six and four on the Celtics, but he was doing it as the fourth option. He was completely overshadowed by these guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, And I mean, you want to look at, and a lot of people, when they argue, they look at the season before this past season where he put up 11 points per game, but this was his first full season coming back from one of the most disgusting injuries I've seen in NBA history. But really now you're placing Gordon Hayward, who last season proved to at least have hopes to be in the prime of his career. You're placing him in basically the best scenario that he could be in, the best situation that a player like him could be in, where he has a great young facilitating duo that will be handling the ball 
leaving him with not the best defender on him most of the time. I think most people will be worried about Devontae Graham and LaMelo Ball because they will be the main facilitators for this team, leaving Gordon Hayward to get off-ball shots. And also, if he wants to, he can make his own shot too. So I think the Hornets are a great scenario for him too. Um, but generally, I think he's definitely still in his prime, especially if he feels like he's in, in his prime. He's definitely playing like it. And I know a lot of people like to hate on that contract. I didn't love it myself as a Hornets fan. But I think that he's still in the prime of his career. I don't think there's really an argument saying that he's definitely not. Um, Arjun, what do you think about this? Um, I'm going to go with Isaac on this one because, of course, when you say you want it, you're in the prime of your career, I think that's confidence in Hayward. I think he had a great season with the Celtics. And, of course, you want to be confident about your, your play. But I'm just going to be the one to say he's not. He's not in the prime of his career. I mean, he's he had a great season. But if you want to talk about the Celtics team, I mean, he – Every starter played majority of the game. They had no bench scoring whatsoever. Even though he was the fourth option, he did get hell of a lot of minutes and chances to score and get get points. But, I mean, I would be I would be selling you short if I just said gave you my words. So I did look into some stats to prove that he wasn't his prime. And I mean, if you look at I think my prime, his prime year was his All Star year 2017. If you look at I mean his efficiency rating is down. From last year, he had way more win shares in his prime. His defensive rating was a lot higher, and his defensive box plus minus was a lot was a lot higher back then. I mean, his value of a replacement rating is at, is just so much lower last year, and it's just overall box plus minus is down. So if you look into the you're looking, actual, I think you're looking a little too there is a you're looking a little too advanced, and you're looking a little bit in too much into winning with a team that was really controversially underperforming this past season in the Celtics, where you have to look at the fact where like the only advanced stat I have to use alongside the 18, six and four, he put up this season and the 21, five and five, he put up in Utah. He also had a significantly lower usage percentage right, when he was this season in, in Boston, but not only was it significantly lower than this pat and then his Utah season, but all of his Utah seasons, besides his first two seasons, his rookie and sophomore year, he's had a lower usage percentage in Boston, which proves that it's not that he's not just getting more minutes and that he's still putting up the same shots he would in Utah, but he's he's being used less in that Boston offense. And you yeah, put and also with the team they put together in Charlotte and the money that they've paid him, you have to think that he's going to be a top option this next year. So he's going to have a much higher usage rate. You're talking about the first or second, maybe, maybe third option, certainly not the fourth option with the Hornets this year. So I think his usage rate is going to go way up and we'll see what happens. I don't think he's I think we're all We're all agreeing. I think we all agree with the fact that he will play really well on the, on the, on the Hornets because, you know, he averaged 17 on the Celtics. But I just don't like – I just don't agree with the fact that he's seen that he's is, is still in his prime because despite these stats, you also still have to take in the fact that he lost some of his athleticism. He did have a career – he had a ter- terrible injury, even though it was a while ago. It's still, that's still something that always carries with you for the rest of your career, that kind of injury. And just in general, if you, I, I, I don't think I looked at – I mean, I think the stats that I found were perfectly represented because the Jazz weren't some winning team. They weren't some – amazing team they were not that good they were not that great of a team Hayward had I mean I know Hayward I mean had more of usage rate of obviously on the Jazz but if you really look into it I mean just the the overall in-depth stats besides main like besides basic scoring Hayward is just not his in his prime he didn't have those same stats your, your stats are too reliant on winning when he was really just not used correctly in Boston and we saw that which um, I just generally agree. I don't agree with you when I think that you just have to look at basic stats. Maybe he's not as much of a winner as he was in Utah. Maybe that is true. We don't know yet. We'll see when he's in Charlotte. But when you look at just basic stats and how he was performing with a much lower usage percentage, I think you have to, you can't deny the fact that he's, he would still put up the same numbers that he would, that he was on Utah on Charlotte as if everything goes correctly. But anyways, I do want to talk about something else now. And that is our Western Conference and Eastern Conference seeding predictions. We'll start off with our Western Conference seeding predictions for the playoffs, and then later we'll move on to our Eastern. But generally, I think I'll actually start this off for you guys. I think for the Western Conference, the one seed, I got the Lakers. I think everybody has the Lakers being the one seed next year. The Clippers retain the two seed. I don't think they got worse really at all. They added Serge Ibaka, who I feel like will be a better fit for this team and a better fit for Kawhi Leonard, which is the really important part. 
And I feel like Kawhi Leonard will have more of an edge on his shoulder to play more in the regular season. Then you look at the Nuggets. I know I was I was looking at making the Nuggets drop in the playoff standings because they lost so much of their bench. But I, from what we saw from Jamal Murray in the bubble, I would say that he can fill the role of those bench players and their impact that he didn't fill last regular season. And they were the three seed. And then at four, I have the, I have the Portland Trailblazers, which you might think is a little high because they were the eight seed barely last year. But I mean, that team was extremely injury prone. And the year before that, they had gone to the Western Conference Finals as I think the three seed. And they added Robert Covington for basically nothing. That was an amazing move. Let them at four over the Suns and the Mavericks and the Jazz. And yeah, the Rockets. absolutely. Yeah, um, I, well, yeah, well, yeah. And then, and then at five, I do have the Dallas Mavericks. And I think Luke is going to take a huge step this season. I know they didn't add a lot of defense to that team, and that's what I was looking for them to add, maybe like a Drew Holiday. But still, Luka Doncic is still going to be a better player, believe it or not, since he's so good already. And Chris Stapps-Porzingis might return to his old all-star self. And the addition of Josh Richardson was really important, in my opinion. And then going on to the sixth seed, I have the Utah Jazz at that position, um, retaining their same position as last year. They got better with the Derek Favors edition. They got rid of Tony Bradley, who wasn't a negative impact, but he wasn't as good as Derek Favors was. And I generally like that team in Donovan Mitchell's development for next season. And then at the seventh seed, I have the Phoenix Suns. Um, I And just so you know, I'm leaving out the Houston Rockets, depending on the fact that I think they will be trading Harden before the deadline. I don't think they're a worse team than, a, than any of these teams. And then going, yeah, I have the Phoenix Suns at actually seven. I feel like um, that Chris uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that duo alongside DeAndre Ayton, the pick and roll will be crazy for that team. And that, that team's going to be an amazing fit. They added a lot of key role players too. And for the eighth seed, I do have the New Orleans Pelicans. I think people are underwriting, underrating the fact that they didn't have Zion Williamson for, for all but 19 games last season. And he was their number one overall pick that's supposed to be the next great thing. And we saw a lot of great things from him in his 19 games last season but he really hasn't had time to prove himself and to guide this team to the playoffs alongside Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Steven Adams newly added to be their starting center. And I think that was a really good move. But then um, Arjun, what's your Western Conference standings? All right. Um, I think I've got a pretty ident- uh, identical one to yours in terms of early, I think late rankings we did from there, but about the Lakers, of course, I mean, they, they're just got, they've gotten even better. I've got the Clippers who I think Lou, Lou Williams, I think is going to have a breakout year. I think he's going to, I think he's going to step up this year. I just, I just have a feeling. And then they've got Sergi Baca and then I've got three, the Nuggets. The reason I didn't put the Nuggets at two was because like you said, they did lose a lot of their bench players, Jeremy Grant, Torrey Craig. I mean, those are important guys. Number four, I got, I put the trailblazers there too. I mean, with Nurkic, we saw what they were able to do in like the bubble. So that was, that was amazing before, of course they played the Lakers, but then five, I've got the Utah Jazz because I still think they're a top team in the West. They've, they've still got that same dynamic duo. Jonathan Mitchell is getting only better. Gobert is still going to be just as dominant. Uh, number six, I've got the Dallas Mavericks, and they're only improving by one seed from last year because this is a competitive, very competitive conference. Luka and Chris Sapp's best young duo in the league. Seven, I've got the Phoenix Suns because, you know, I just don't see them playing better than the other teams during the other teams in the regular season. They're a great team. This, this just shows you the depth in the, in their conference. And number eight, I've got the golden state warriors because they still have Steph Curry. They still have James Wiseman and they're still a good team. Even though, even without Clay Thompson, they're still a potential playoff team. All right. I see. Ben, did you, ben, did you leave out the warriors from the playoffs? Yes, I did. I don't think, I think that defensive ten, that defensive trio of Kelly Oubre, Kelly, um, Andrew Wiggins, and Steph Curry will not be anything suitable enough to stop anybody on the perimeter, and that's why I think that they'll barely slip out of these playoffs. Because I mean, anybody scoring on that team, Curry can only do so much on the offensive end. I think Wiseman is great for them, but I don't see them cracking these other great teams in the Western Conference. But Isaac, what are your rankings? Yeah, that's tough. Um, so I think it definitely the Lakers at number one and for two and three, I'm going variable between the Nuggets and the Clippers. It's going to depend on, it's going to depend on how Kawhi plays. I think I'll put the Nuggets at number two. I think they didn't lose too much in the off season to where that they're dropping so much. And I think we looked at, um, 
we looked at Jamal Murray being the second option on their team and then emerging as a huge, incredible player. So both there, that duo is one of the best duos in the league. So I'm going to have them at two and the Clippers at three. I think for number four, I think for number four, I'm going to have the Dallas Mavericks. I think, I think that's bold. They're up there to be, Luca's going to be an MVP candidate. They're up there to be an, a, a big competing team in the West. Like we said, the West is an incredible conference this year. We're talking about so many different teams. Yeah. There's really only two teams that are not competing for the playoffs at this point, in my opinion, in the West. I think at number five, it's a variable. I'm looking at three teams. I'm yeah. looking at the Trailblazers, the Jazz, and the Suns right now. I think I will go with the Trailblazers, like Ben said. It's going to depend, can they have all of their team healthy because when they have a healthy team, they can be one of the top teams in the West right now. Um, And then at number six, I'm going to have the Phoenix Suns. I think they're going to take a big step up. That's a variable between them and the jazz. This is really tough because there's so many good teams in the West. And then number seven, I'm going to have the golden state warriors. I think Steph Curry is too much to stop. People have not been talking about him. He certainly maybe not has something to prove, but he certainly is going to come back from vengeance on the league. When you talk about last year being injured. And I think number eight um, is going to be the Pelicans. I'm not sure if I'm, I might've left someone out in there. It's really a toss up in the West for most of these spots, but I'm going to have the Pelicans because if Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Zion can all mesh, like we all know they can, they had some good offseason pickups, they can be an incredible team in the West right now. Zion, we saw what he can be in those 19 games that he played. And we saw what Brandon Ingram can yeah. be coming with the most improved player in an all-star. So if all those right. guys can mesh together, they can be, get into the playoffs. All sure. right, now quickly, let's get in our Eastern Conference seating predictions. We are short on time, so we'll make this quick. Um, for my Eastern Conference seating for the eight teams, I got the Milwaukee Bucks at one. I think that my Eastern Conference is a little unconventional um, because I just have a lot of hope on these teams. I got at two, I got the Philadelphia 76ers. I have a, a lot of hope for this Doc Rivers led team. I feel like he'll bring the best out of Ben Simmons. While he's had basically zero development, I feel like now he will be able to shoot that three point shot. At the three seed, I do have the Brooklyn Nets. I feel like they'll underperform in the regular season because of maybe some injury and some load management and maybe not meshing as well at the start of the season. But then at the four seed, I do have the Boston Celtics. I feel like that team, they got a little worse. And by a little, I mean, they lost Gordon Hayward. And But I do feel like that will elevate Jalen Brown. That'll elevate Jason Tatum and they'll secure the four seed. At the five seed, I have the Miami Heat. Um, I feel like this team, they won't be jumping up anywhere in the rankings. I don't have them better than the Bucks or the Nets, at least in the regular season, any of those teams that I named above them. And then that's basically all I have for that. And then for the sixth seed, I do have the Washington Wizards. I know they are in front of the Raptors, and I know Raptors fans won't like me for this. I'll probably get clowned. But I do feel like this team will be an excellent regular season team. I don't think there'll be anything in the playoffs. I think there'll be a first-round exit. But I do feel like they'll be a sixth seed in my opinion. And then at the seventh seed, I have the Raptors. They lost Gasol, Andy Baca, and they replaced him with Baines. I'm unsure if their two-seed season last year was 100% confidence that they would be still one of those top teams when it comes to teams like the Bucks, the Nets. And then at the eighth seed, I have the Charlotte Hornets. I can't not bet on my team, but I also, from an unbiased standpoint, think that they do have the best chance to secure that spot with all the youth that they have that will only be getting better, like Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, De- Devontae Graham, LaMelo Ball, and then Gordon Hayward mentoring all of them, basically. I feel like they'll secure that eight spot. But Arjun, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, Ben, I don't need to – I pretty much agree with your list. Maybe a switching – maybe having the Nets, the Nets at the number two seed. I'm not sure. I also have a lot of hope for the Philadelphia 76ers. All I'm going to add is that I think the Hawks can definitely sneak into the playoffs. Definitely. And how their chemistry works. But I think they can definitely get in there. Yeah, are you? Um, I got the for number one. I bought the Bucks. I think they got a there's a downgrade in their roster, so it's gonna be tight space. It's gonna be tight race, but because they lost Divincenzo, you know they gave up a lot of first round picks, but I think they'll still be a first seed. Number two, I bought the Brooklyn Nets. I don't I don't care about chemistry. I really don't. They're they're just such a talented team. You gotta put them in the second seed. Um, number three. You can call me biased, but, you know, I have faith in my team, so I'm going to put the Celtics there. And I can see why you put the Celtics at the fourth seed. I understand that, but I'll put them there. Number four, 
I think you could. This is a toss-up between the Heat and the 76ers. I really thought about it. And the 76ers really do look. They do look really good this year. So I'm going to put the 76ers at the fourth seed. You may say that I'm hating the Heat, but hey, I mean, I'm just looking at how these teams are potentially going to play next year. Five, I've got the Heat because obviously they made an amazing run. Six, I've got the Toronto Raptors because even though their their team fell, like their stock, Pascal Siakam's stock has fallen. I still think they're a good team. I mean, they have a lot. Yeah. Their team is in a toss-up right now because they still have the same players, but and Nick Nurse is still an amazing coach. Mm-hmm. But seven, I've got the Indiana Pacers because they didn't really do anything the offseason. But even without All Depot, they did do. They did secure, I think, a fifth seed. You do have to give them credit, a fifth or a fourth seed. But you have to give them credit because they did a really good job when it came to uh, when it came to playing last year. And eight, it is a toss-up between the Hornets or the Hawks. I will go with the Hornets, but the Hawks have so much scoring on their team. Yeah. With Gallinari, they have spacing problems, but Isaac, go ahead. Well, no, Isaac Isaac had his add-ons, but I think it's interesting yeah. left out the Wizards. Um, I don't think we even have time for Isaac to say anything. We got to move on to the next thing we do want to talk about, which is are the Heat top-tier contenders next season? Um, I think this one should be pretty obvious, but you never know. Arjun, what do you think? Uh, when you say top tier contenders, I personally think of a team that should make the Western Conf- I mean, the Eastern Conference. Fi- I mean, you should make the Eastern Conference Finals. If you don't, it's like what happened. So when you talk about top tier contenders, I do not think the Heat are top tier contenders. I don't want to call well, last year a fluke because that's kind of a negative word for it. I want to call it a Cinderella run. But they just—if you're looking at the Nets, the Bucks, the Nets—I mean, those two are top tier contenders. The Celtics, the Heat. The 76ers, they're, they're still contenders, but they're not in that same level. Top tier goes to the top tier teams. They're, I just don't see – last year was a one-time thing. Respect to them. I'm not going to call it a fluke, because that, again, because that's not a good word to describe it. But I just don't see it happening again. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. You have to let me take this because, okay, last year for the Heat was anything but a mistake. Not a mistake, wasn't a fluke, wasn't a Cinderella run. I think I have to give you some credit because I think that the Heat have lost their element of surprise, per se. I think a lot of teams underrated them last year, and they under, they, underestimate, they underestimated them. But the Heat are not getting worse. If anything, they're only getting better. They realize what a player Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson can be in their backcourt. They know Bam can step up. They had all those injuries in the finals. They are an incredibly complete team. One of the most complete teams is certainly in the in the East. That being said, I do not think they're anywhere near competing for a championship. I think they're certainly competing to make it out of the East. I do not think they're at all competing with the championship. They can't stand up to a lot of the best teams in the West and some of the teams in the East. But I think it's crazy to say that that was was a Cinderella run for them. I understand what you're saying, but they are an incredibly complete team. They played together. All of those guys stepped up together, and they're not getting worse this year. If anything, they're getting better. Yeah, the no, thing no, is no, that, no. that was a Cinderella. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, you can't tell me that the, the Bucks just fell apart in that series. Brooke Lopez played off. I think the Heat are a better of. playoff team. The Bucks are not a yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. Giannis does not so, play well in the playoffs. Isaac, I mean, okay. I, no, but if no, you look no, at Arjun, Arjun, Arjun. So you can't you can't say that they're not top tier contenders. Of course, it me it, it goes by what you define as top tier. I think the most talented teams. If you wanted to define that, I think the Bucks and the Nets are the two most talented teams. But that doesn't define the top tier contenders because that goes down to the playoffs. And let's not forget that they were a four seed last season. Like that's not that's not a top two seed, but that's still a contending like range seed. And then you look at this team, this team is anything but getting worse. And I know you might define it as a Cinderella run and it might've been a little bit of a fluke when it comes to, I don't think they'll be that same type of run that they had. I don't think Jimmy Butler will be that same playoff player that he was last year and this year, especially in the regular season, but you still have to give them their due respect since Tyler hero, he is a rookie. Duncan Robinson's not super old or super young, but he's still showing he has a lot of bright spots for the future of the NBA. Bam out of bio, gee, I mean, that guy could be a top one. Um, he could be a top one center in the league eventually, the more he develops, but I don't think he will be. But he, he's certainly a top five center right now, and it was, what, his third season in the NBA. I think you can't say this team's going to get any worse. Of course, they might not be in the finals again, but you have to consider them with the top tier contenders especially if you consider the Bucks a top-tier contender since you said their team got worse, which I don't agree with, but if you say their team got worse, 
and they got knocked out by this Heat team last season, who also got considerably better, adding players like Avery Bradley from the Lakers, who's a great perimeter defender who will go great coming off the bench with Goran Dragic. Talk about a great bench. I think you have to consider them in the top two contenders, especially if you consider the Bucks a top tier contender. Okay, ben, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that you, Isaac, because what are the odds that Goran Dragic puts up 20 points per game in this season? What are the odds that Tyler Hero puts up 17 points per game in this hey, season? Okay. What they are the odds that to. Jay Crowder puts up 12 points? Well, they don't need them to. This is you're proving my point. All of those guys can step up and they can do it again. They don't need they don't, all no, of they're guys. not gonna do it again because it just they it, don't they don't need them all to do it again. Sam oh, is gonna get better, Jimmy's gonna get better as a leader. Tyler Hero is no doubt gonna develop more from his from his uh freshman yeah. year. Yeah, and we can't just call this like a playoff loop by Jimmy that he played so well because I mean he this could have been his breaking moment to be really a superstar. He's never been a superstar before, but then in the playoffs, he was really a superstar. Maybe this was his breaking moment. You can't just call this playoff Jimmy because we really, this might be the turning point in his career. We really don't know yet. If they have the best, you can't really, you can't say he can predict it's a fluke, but I mean, you definitely can't say that their finals run is a fluke or this team is a fluke, especially with how young they are and how much potential this team has just to grow. They can't get any worse. And you talked about points per game. What are the odds that Gordon that um, Goran Dragic puts up 20? What are the odds that Hero puts up 17? I think the odds that Hero puts up 17 are tremendous. I mean, Hero had a huge boost of confidence and a huge boost of confidence from the front office and coaching from his playoff run last season. I don't think anybody thought he was what people think he is now before the playoffs. I think now people realize Hero's true potential as they said he could be like better than Devin Booker one day. I think I don't I don't want to say that the Heat are getting worse. I don't want to say that the Heat are getting worse because they're only getting better, but I'm just looking at the East as a whole. And when you say top-tier contender, I'm talking about a team that if they don't make the, the Eastern Conference Finals, then what happened? That was just like, that should not have happened. You are you should have a guarantee. like You should have a very high chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals. Do they have a very high chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals next year? This is early. Remember, I'm speaking. This is a very early prediction. Right now, where I'm at, I just don't think they're there. All respect to them. I, have, I do not want to say they're a fluke. I've said this multiple times. There was a great run, but I just don't see that explosive as a run because I mean the Nets are the Nets are the Nets are getting better. I mean they have their fully healthy roster. The Celtics, as much as you want to trash their offseason, which is true, they had a bad offseason. They got better. They got their pieces. No, they did not. I mean, they did not. Okay, okay, okay. I mean they got Tristan listen, Thompson. Listen, they got their listen. bench scoring. The so Heat, the Heat have the best team in the NBA when it comes to leadership and mindset by far. Not even close. Not even close. Name a team that has better leadership, better team chemistry, better mindset than the Heat. The reason they lost the Lakers, the Lakers are a far better top-heavy and talented team all the way through. They also had injuries, but it's because the Lakers are a far better team. They have by far the best leadership in Jimmy Butler. Young guys like Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, who's relatively young, they stepped up in big moments. All of those guys stepped up. They have a very complete team. But generally, I agree somewhat with what you're saying but i do actually want to move on to the nfl now if that's fine with you guys and talk about the buccaneers another team located in florida we got to talk about who is the biggest problem for the bucks right now bruce arians or tom brady um i'll actually actually no um isaac you start this off i think i've been talking a little too much (laughs) yeah okay i'm gonna say i think it's sort of a toss-up with this one i'm gonna say that tom brady is the reason the Bucks are, you could say, underperforming or not playing well right now. Let's let's just let's just turn let's just turn to Tom Brady's statistics. He has 28 touchdowns in the season and 11 11 interceptions. That is that is not the mark of a quarterback. First of all, obviously Tom Brady's outside of his prime right now, but he's not playing well. He's through he's thrown two interceptions in the last two games. Once against the Rams in a loss. And uh, excuse me, twice against the Rams in a loss and twice against the Chiefs in a loss. He is not being maybe people had higher expectations or lower expectations for Tom Brady. But the thing is, he is one of the chief reasons out of those two guys that they are losing right now. He's throwing a ton of interceptions. He's not being the quarterback that many people thought he could be. And they have a pretty good squad. He brought together a lot of good players. I can't blame it on the coach right now. I have to put the blame on Tom. Brady. No, I think you've got to put the blame on Bruce Arians because of how stubborn he is to move from his own system. He's a head coach. He's dealing with the guy who's supposedly the greatest player of all time, but he's been in the same system his entire life, and he's been with uh, Bill Belichick. And I think that you can't just assume that Tom Brady at 43 years old is going to be able to do this vertical threat, risky 
risk-taking offense that Bruce Arians runs when he's been running a conservative offense his entire career. And that, and especially now he's 43 years old. You can't blame a 43-year-old quarterback for not being able to be a part of an explosive offense and play his best. And I mean, yes, this, this style of play may have worked with Jameis Winston. It may have worked with Carson Palmer in the past when Bruce Arians has used it. But I mean, this is not that's a completely different scenario because Jameis Winston's a strong arm, low IQ quarterback. He just throws it downfield. He is a vertical threat. Tom Brady is more of the high IQ, short, like shortened field type of quarterback. But when you look at Tom Brady, he thrives in the play action when he can look at freeze, like frozen linebackers and he can look at the play. He can get a little more time to make his real decision, especially since he's so uncomfortable with these wide receivers that are new to him. I think that the, the lack of play action that this offense has called due to Bruce Arians is disgusting because if you're any sort of a competent coach, then you should realize, oh, my star quarterback, who's supposedly the greatest of all time, thrives in the play action. Let's run to play action. He only called four play action plays against the Chiefs. He continued to run his own plays that he did with Jameis Winston. And he has his whole career because he's just too stubborn. And I think the, one of the big reasons is that Bruce Arians is just too blinded that his three-back rush attack with Fournette, Jones, and I can't even remember the other guy, is just one of the most despicable running games there is in the league, especially with how much they run it. It's 50% of their plays that they run, and 50% are passes in, in the first three quarters. And I think you can't do that when you have Tom Brady. Tom Brady needs to be able to throw when he wants to throw, especially to get heated up in the fourth quarter. And I don't think Bruce Arians realized that his run game is really just not that efficient and that he has a quarterback that thrives in a completely different scenario that he run, than he runs and that he just refuses to change anything because he's too stubborn. But Arjun, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to agree with you on this one, Ben. But Isaac, I do agree that Tom Brady isn't playing the way he should be. Of course, he's 43. I mean, he, what the way he's playing right now is remarkable because of his age, but at the end of the day, Bruce Arians has really, like you said, he's been stubborn. He hasn't, he hasn't utilized the Bucks wide receivers because, I mean, you look at Antonio Brown, who, you know, he's a new addition to this team, but he is a Hall of Famer. There is no doubt about it. This guy, whatever problems he has off the field, he is a sure Hall of Famer. In the last game, he only had two receptions. I mean, you, you look at the way Brady played. Brady played really well against the Chiefs defense. They don't have an insane defense, but they have a good, solid defense. And then look look back into the, the Falcons game. The Buccaneers ran the ball five times for eight yards total. They only had eight yards total rushing yards. I mean, Bruce Arians just doesn't know when to change it up, and he doesn't know when it's time. Well, he, does, he doesn't accept he didn't accept the fact that Brady's team. I think he's trying to take that – that aspect away, which when you're a coach, you really should let Brady make the big decisions because he's the GOAT. And in uh, in conclusion, I mean, really, just Brady Brady has been playing a little – like he hasn't been playing as well as he should be, but Bruce Arians just has hey, been way too I just want to respond to that, though. Okay, I think, first of all, this sort of plays into when you're talking about the Brady versus Belichick debate. And you're saying if you're making that argument, no way Brady is the reason they're winning. You have to give the credit to Belichick then because because look at this. If you're saying that Brady can't operate in a system where the coach isn't top tier like Belichick is, then he is then he has not been the reason the Patriots have been winning. You have to put the blame on Tom Brady. If you're gonna call him the GOAT, if you're gonna give him if you're going to give him that credit for all of the years that he's been good on the Patriots, you have to step up. I know you're very old. I know you're, you can even be in a game managing situation. You're not in a team where you have to carry all the load here. You just can't throw 11 interceptions to your 28 but, touchdowns. But as, a, but as, a, as a head coach, also, I don't think that interception ratio is that bad. I think it's the recent interceptions because the team has started to break down. I think that you can't blame a 43-year-old quarterback who's been playing in the same system he has his entire career when he goes to a brand new system and the and the coach is just too stubborn to change anything. I to think he's the anything. GOAT. He's the GOAT. I can totally. No, no, Isaac, Isaac, I think you need to understand that we're not saying that Bruce Arians – Bruce Arians is not a bad coach in terms of like as – average coaches go he's not a bad coach in terms of stubbornness he's extremely stubborn that's not the reason brady could be doing a lot better if arians let hit let brady do what he wanted to do okay but i but think i'm gonna quote i'm gonna quote ben i can't remember exactly what ben said but in a couple episodes ago ben was talking about you know you don't need an incredible quarterback you just need a quarterback to go to the super bowl you just need a quarterback who can game manage you can keep no. your team steady 
Tom Brady's in a situation where if he doesn't fuck shit up, he is a great team. He has a he's got a good lineup. They he's got people he can throw it to. He's brought all these players in. At this point, it's unacceptable to him to be able to for throwing that many interceptions in the past two games. They've lost two in a row, four interceptions over the past two games. It's unacceptable. You can put Isaac, the, you can put the look, look at the opponents. So they played the they played the Rams. The Rams are one of the most Tom elite. Brady does not need to be how he played against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. He just needs to be a player who is not playing bad. And he's played poorly in the last couple of games for so the expectations they have for him. He's got to be able to stay consistent. He hasn't done so. Got to be able to win them games. He hasn't done so. He hasn't been a consistent quarterback. And no, that's putting the blame on him. But like, yeah, he hasn't been playing his best, and that is true. He has underperformed for what we expect from Tom Brady. But does anybody expect a 43-year-old Tom Brady to be able to be throwing a 40-yard pass into double coverage into a into the system that Arian- – He doesn't have to be that good, though. He just doesn't have to throw that many interceptions. I think maybe you can maybe you can put that on the coach. Maybe you can put that on the coach. Yeah. I'm still – I'm still keeping the blame with Tom. Isaac, the thing is that when you look at actually the game log, the only he the only time he doesn't play like a top two defensive team, he feasts. He absolutely feasts in those games. He gets he just plays insane. But okay, look at I mean, look at like this. The only like not great games he's had, he's had to, he's not had a great game against the Rams. That's the Rams defense. He hasn't had a great game against the the Saints. The Saints have one of the best defenses in the league. He didn't have a great game against the Packers. The games that he didn't play well were against elite defenses. You want to look at how he played against the Car- I mean, the, the Panthers. He had 340 yards and three touchdowns. Look at how he played against. I mean, look at how he played how he played against the Raiders. He had 370 yards and four touchdowns. So it's not that he's being he's not being that inconsistent. He's just not played as well against the big teams. And that's more of a coaching standpoint where that's you have you put the blame on the coach. Yeah. Um, the next thing I do want to the next thing I do want to talk about just to move on is. Do you guys think that the Seahawks are your favorites to leave the NFC and go to the Super Bowl? And if not them, who? I'll keep this one brief so you guys can go. But um, I do not think it's I, – I don't think it's the Seahawks. As great of an offense they have, they have Metcalf, they have Lockett and Wilson. They have a great offense. But even when their defense is fully healthy with Jamal Ad, Adams and – I mean, even Bobby Wagner is a great middle linebacker. They're still just not that good of a defense. And I think the Saint, a team like the Saints, maybe in the package, but I have to go with the Saints because the Saints just have an amazing defense right now. Their defense is absolutely insane. Breeze, think about it like this. Breeze gets more time to rest. He's getting more time to rest, usually at the end of the season. I mean, by the end of the season, he's usually gassed. He's taking a lot of beating. But, I mean, right now, Taysom Hill, is shown that he's an extremely versatile QB. He can run, he can pass, he can make Michael Thomas into a deep threat. I mean, but with Drew Brees, Michael Thomas can run short pass, short plays like slants. Now we can really utilize his potential. I'm not saying that, I mean, I should also say that Brees is also a terrific quarterback. He has the veteran leadership, but the Saints just are cruising right now. And they have one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah. So I have to say the same. I think I can't really um, actually... I, I don't want to get into this yet. I want to hear what Isaac has to say before I say anything. Isaac, what do you have to think? What do you have to say about this? Yeah, I mean, I think I was hoping that this would be an MVP season for Russell Wilson. I think that's still a possibility, but I think he's going to be able to prove himself in the playoffs. He's clicking with DK Metcalf. They've had they had a little bit of a slump, but I think right now I think they're eight and three right now. I might be wrong. But I think they're going to click even more in the playoffs. I think they're going to come out of the NFC. You can make an argument for the Saints. I'm not sure how this injury is going to affect Drew Brees. Um, I just don't know. Um, and you can also make an argument with the Packers. Surely Aaron Rodgers is still playing very well right now. But I'm going with the Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson is on, has been on the tear at the beginning of the season. He can still go on a tear in the playoffs. DK Metcalf is ready to shine in the playoffs right now. They have an incredible offense, and I think they're ready to come out of the NFC. All right. No, I can't agree with you. I mean, yeah, their offense has been playing to not perfection, but they've been playing very well. And, I can, and you definitely can't blame Russell Wilson for any of their struggles at all. But um, no matter, like, how great Russell Wilson is playing, I can't put faith in a defense that tragic to be a part of a team that can leave the NFC, especially with the, 
with the competition that they have. I mean, Russell Wilson has been in the MVP contention for how good he's been playing, and they still have been like a borderline playoff team And when they have been playing. I think that like they have been great, but when you compare this team with they have an amazing offense with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson, and a decent offensive line, but you compare that terrible of a defense to the fact that you have the Packers. I mean, the Packers on one hand, they have probably the most efficient offense in the NFL besides the Chiefs because the Chiefs have probably the least turnovers offensively of any team in the NFL. But in the NFC, the Packers are definitely the most efficient offense, and they have a def- they have a decent defense, but they also have probably the best quarterback in the NFC, in my opinion, in Aaron Rodgers. I think he's better than Russell Wilson, and he also has a way more reliable target than Russell Wilson does in DK Metcalf, having Devontae Adams to throw to. And I think that's why I have them above the Seahawks. And then the the Saints, I think, Arjun said it perfectly, I think they're – they're extremely well-rounded, the most well-rounded team with the best coaching in the NFC, discarding the Buccaneers because of their terrible coaching. I think that this team, they've been winning games without Drew Brees, which has been fascinating. They've had a tight end at quarterback. They've been hyping him up for years, and he has been performing. But they also they have Kamara. They have Thomas. They have this great team. They have Jarrett Cook at tight end. They also have a very good defense, a very capable defense at that. And I think that these two teams just overpower over the Seahawks, and I can't rely on their defense to win any games or even help not lose any games. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's fair for sure. It's a toss-up between those teams, and it's definitely a drop-off in the NFC. I don't think there's anyone else there that's competing to make it out of the NFC right now, yeah. especially in the I think I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the fact that the Seahawks have – I mean, they, they have – Russell Wilson's been absolutely amazing. I mean – I think just the turnovers, he had multiple turnovers in the string of games that really just casted him out of the MVP race, but he's still, I mean, I think he's a top three quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers at two, he's a three, but I think that if you look at the game, the way they play, when Russell Wilson doesn't have an insane game, which he has had a lot of insane games, they just don't play that well, and the offense is completely hinged on this guy. Yeah. Not, not It's even more than like how the Chiefs rely on Mahomes, because Mahomes is just bails out the Chiefs in a good way but I mean whenever what Russell Wilson has somewhat of a a not as not amazing game they always just struggle and that's the problem with the Seahawks yeah as Russell Wilson is you still have to have like consistency I mean like Russell Wilson has arguably had like two or three bad games and in those bad games and I think like they've been like bad but not like bad for an average quarterback like they have lost and it's not been you know, they only have three losses though like, so yeah. yeah in those in those losses they've had it's been because russell wilson didn't play perfectly because every every game for russell wilson is a shootout and i think it's unfair to grade him off of that because of all the interceptions he gets because they're such a high tempo offense they have so yeah. many possessions because like against the bills like that game ended up being closer than it actually was because I think they had like two interceptions and a fumble or something, something like that. And they ended up on all three of those possessions scoring. I mean, it was like 27-44 at one point. I think I don't have the score memorized in my mind. But without further ado, if you guys don't mind, I do want to move on to the next thing we want to talk about, which is how serious of an argument does Derrick Henry have for MVP after his Colts performance this past Sunday? Arjun, I know you're a Titans fan, so I will give you the honors of starting us off right here. All right, guys. Um... I'm a huge, I mean, I love King Henry, and I think that Mahomes, although he should win the MVP, Henry is right behind that man, and he has, there's extremely serious argument. This guy has an, an insane argument, but I mean, if you look at the stats, Derrick Henry has the highest running and offensive grades in the NFL. He's the highest usage running back in the NFL, most attempts, mm-hmm. so he knows how to carry this offense. I mean, he leads the NFL in yards. He has, I mean, he's the last four games, he's had to play the Colts twice. He's had to play the Bears and the Ravens, which are all elite defenses. And the, sh- and the fact that he has so much yardage and he's dominated those games has really shows you how good of a player he is. I mean, he's second in touchdowns, first in first downs, first in 10 plus yards runs. I mean, most yards after contact by far. And despite his high usage, he only has one fumble. So this guy, I mean, although you can make yeah. the, the case that the Titans have a great offense, I mean, it, 
Tannehill is a is a top ten QB. He's not a, he's not a top five QB. He's not like that great of a QB. He's a good QB. There's AJ Brown. Johnny Smith has not been that recent reliable yeah. recently. No, but, I mean this team just hit, their team relies on Henry. And if you look at, I'll be, I'll be finished real quick. But the early games when they won by three points, two points, one point, when they barely won, the guy that was always bailing them out, the guy that was always leading their offense to the win was always Derrick Henry. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to do anything to slander Derrick Henry at all. He's been amazing this season. He's been by far the most valuable rushing back this season, especially rushing. I mean, a lot of people would want to say Derrick um, um, Dalvin Cook, but I mean, Dalvin Cook can't do what Derrick Henry can do at any standpoint from the running standpoint. I mean, Derrick Henry's the one running back in the league that's a top running back and doesn't get receiving yards. He's not a receiving running back of what that is. Uh, he's just a running back, and he does what he wants to do on the field. He just does. He's just like that. But I think that when it comes down to the most valuable player, Derrick Henry has had an MVP-worthy season, but it really doesn't ever go to a, run, to a running back. And even if it did at any point – Mahomes has just been too freakish this season. He uh, he already has 3.5 thousand yards, 30 touchdowns, and only two interceptions, and he's had a relatively tough schedule. Not saying he's had a, a super hard schedule like Derrick Henry has, but he's had a pretty hard schedule. And, I mean, what Mahomes is doing, I think it's unanimous, the MVP that he'll get. And he's been amazing this season. And Derrick Henry has been probably – he's been definitely the most impactful running back there has been and the best rushing back not in counting receiving, but I really can't see anybody but Mahomes getting the MVP award this year. I don't think there's really an argument for anybody. Yeah. Also look at the, look at the guys that are following up. You've got a lot of quarterbacks that are in contention right now. I don't think, and I don't think it, it almost never goes to someone besides a quarterback. I don't think Derek Henry's an incredible player right now. And he's been so good for the Titans, but I don't think he's going to qualify as MVP. I think that's undoubtedly going to go to one of the quarterbacks, especially Patrick Mahomes. He's had too good of a season to to have Derrick Henry above him. You can also put um, you can also put Russell Wilson in there, depending on how they close out in the next couple of games. But I can't put Derrick Henry up there at the top, especially. I, mean, I would say I would say he's in the top three. I would say I mean. I'd say the top you can put him is probably three. I can't put him over Aaron Rodgers either. I think they're pretty neck to neck, but I think Aaron Rodgers has to be in front of him for what he's done and done so efficiently with the Packers this season. But I think that um, you could put him from like three to five range when it comes to the MVP contention, which is really impressive for a running back since the last one to get an MVP that was a running back was Adrian Peterson in 2012. And that was a freakish season by him. I think that, yeah, he has had a great season, but there's, the quarterback position is just so much more valuable valuable for the MVP award. And that's why people are even saying like Big Ben deserves to be in that because of their undefeated record. He, by no stance, has been a top 10 quarterback, in my opinion, this season when you look at statistically. But we won't get into that. Um, there is, if you guys don't mind, I do want to get into the last thing we are going to talk about today, which is which team is more likely to make the playoffs, the Ravens or the Raiders? I will actually start this one off. And I think... I think both teams are out of the playoff picture right now. I think that will change. I think at least one of these teams gets into the playoffs. They both have very, very easy schedules coming up. They have the exact same record. But when it comes down to it, I think the Ravens will probably win more games than the Colts in the upcoming schedule. But I can't rely on the Browns to not choke the division. I think the Ravens are currently third in their division, the AFC North, and the Raiders are currently second in the AFC West. And I think that they prevail there because the Raiders are – just right behind the Browns and the Browns. I just can't depend to not choke that top spot of the division where that they can get an automatic playoff spot, despite their record, if they win the division, but also like they play the jets next week. They have, they play a pretty easy schedule. I know that the Ravens play the back to back to back of, I think after the Browns, they play the Jaguars giants and Bengals without burrow. And I think that's a freakish schedule. I would bet on both of these teams making the playoffs, but if I had to pick one, I would probably say the Raiders, because of the position they're in right now. Okay, I'm gonna start this one off then, because you just said you're you're talking about a Raiders team that almost beat the Chiefs, but then the next the very next week they lose by almost 40 against the Falcons. The 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 Falcons. I mean, 
they had the, they had all their players. I mean, Derek Carr was absolutely atrocious that game. Josh Jacobs really didn't have that much of an impact. They're, I mean, they, they just had no offensive presence. And when that team has no offensive presence, again, against such a terrible defense, just such a – I mean, if you look at the amount of fantasy fantasy points that the, the, that the Falcons had, <laughs> I'd never thought they would be there. And the fact that this team was so stumped by the Falcons, D, I just can't see them being above the Ravens. Now, Lamar has COVID, but it's not, a, it's not an injury, so he should come back soon. Lamar Jackson is a terrific quarterback. And even if this offense still – even though they still don't have, like, great weapons on that team, Lamar yeah. makes them a, a good offense. No, but also, and, like, when you I talk mean, about schedules, I mean, you really have to talk about the fact that the upcoming schedule for the Raiders for the rest of the season – I mean, yes, they do play some great teams, but they also play – they play the Cowboys. They play the Eagles. They play the Panthers. They play the Jaguars. They play the Jets. I mean, these are bad teams. These are teams that they will easily be able to take down. And I, I mean, th- but no, Ben, that's the thing, though. They could – I mean, those – the Panthers, like you said, they're a team that could come well, you know, very well shock that team. They're not a, a great I'm team, not. but we've seen – they almost – they came close to beating the Chiefs. Joey Sly missed a field goal. I, 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 that was my bad. I was reading the wrong thing. They, that was that's not the rest of their schedule. The rest of their schedule is actually the Colts, which I think is a very winnable game for them. I mean, you saw the Titans. They dominated them with their running game. And I think that, of course, they don't have Derrick Henry in the backfield, but they do have a very capable offense when they're playing at their best. And then, of course, the Chargers, Dolphins, and Broncos are very winnable games, not comparable to the Ravens. But, Isaac, before we end this off, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I don't really have much to add here. I think it's kind of a toss-up. I think it's going to depend on they – were, they were pretty neck-and-neck. Neck. That was a long game with the Steelers with Trace McSorley coming in with his first NFL touchdown. I think it's going to be – it's going to be uh, it's going to be a toss-up. I might lean towards the Ravens in this one just to have more faith in Lamar Jackson, but I really got nothing else to add. I think we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's, that will be it for us today. Um, if you're still watching, even if, if you were clicking on – a link to a topic time in the bio. If you're still watching, go ahead and like and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're uh, still watching, you're a legend. Yeah, if you're still watching, you're a legend. We, we appreciate you. And, of course, if you want to get a hoodie, if you want to get – I think there's even sweats, there's masks to protect you from corona. Everything about that, you can get it on our merch website. I think it's linked in the description to this YouTube video. But other than that, I think that will be it for us today. And signing off.